0: welcome to Pound the Rock, an NBA podcast by the Score. I'm your host, William Lew. I'm joined, as always, by fellow co-host, Jessica Charle. New day, new loafers. It's the summer. Uh, Joel Wolfon, <laughs> what up? Yeah, for people who don't know, Cash really does have like a fresh pair of loafers for every single day. Currently, it's like a blue velvet thing going on right now. It's nice. It's really Talk- impressive, honestly. Like every day, it's a it's a new pair. How
1: how how broad is your uh, your sneaker closet?
2: Uh, it's pretty good. I mean, it's no. Uh not like pj tucker but uh it's getting there it's getting there
0: much respect all right yeah i promise we're not gonna talk anymore about loafers um on this week's podcast we are gonna discuss isaiah thomas poor poor isaiah thomas settling for the brink struck of two million dollars which you know is a brink struck to 99 percent of people in the world but to him that's obviously a disappointment uh we'll talk about the ongoing carmelo situation we'll talk about Kawhi being up in the air and even jimmy butler but um circle back to isaiah thomas After last year, talking all that talk about how, you know, he was coming off a great year. Like, I think he was either fourth or fifth in MVP voting, um, you know, averaging 29 points per game with the Celtics, took them to the Eastern Conference Finals, had gutsy performance after gutsy performance, that 53-point overtime win against the the Wizards in the playoffs, Um, you know, playing a day after his, uh, you know, his sister died in a car crash. Isaiah Thomas was talking about how he was going to get the Brinks truck from the Celtics. And, of course, he was traded, and, you know, he turned out he was injured as well. And, unfortunately for him, I mean, he had to settle for the league minimum, worth $2 million. Um, with the Denver Nuggets, um, Wolf, i I'll start with you. Do you think this is going to hurt sort of relationships around the league? In In what way? Like... Like for the from the Celtics perspective, but also just like, do you think Isaiah Thomas is going to end up as a cautionary tale?
1: I mean, it's really tough to say. Like, th- there were kind of an extraordinary set of circumstances, I think, that uh, you know conspired to put him in the position that he's in now. The biggest one, obviously, is the hip injury, and he's not in this position or anywhere close to it if he's a hundred percent healthy. And look, I, I think. I mean, we can go back years and years. I think it'd be really hard to find a situation where a player fell off in in the span of a, a year as hard as Isaiah did. He went from being, like you said, fifth in MVP voting, second team All-NBA, to uh, being a guy that was traded mid-season and, I mean, traded twice in the span of uh, a few months, frankly, and... Is now having to sign for a minimum contract To hopefully rehabilitate his value But As far as the Celtics, I mean I don't really know Like, they didn't come out of the situation Looking great, I don't think They have a player who Was, you know, you could argue the heart and soul Of their team, who went out there And played on a busted hip in the playoffs Very shortly After his sister tragically died And you know they turn around and trade him in what frankly now looks like a a very good basketball trade in mm-hmm. order to get Kyrie Irving but it's just so heartless <clears throat> it's heartless but what like this is the thing right you you have fans around the league and and it's obviously a much different question when you talk about what players might think of the Boston Celtics organization and whether this would color their perception of it at all but fans don't really think about things in those terms. Like if you're a fan of the Boston Celtics, I think you're looking at that trade and feeling pretty good about the way that it turned out. Fans will tout loyalty when it comes to players in terms of free agency and what they ought to be willing to sacrifice for a team that quote-unquote gave them their shot or drafted them. But that loyalty is never a two-way street, right? Like when a player's utility... Um, no longer meets the fans' demands, then that player tends to get run out of town. And the same fans who demand loyalty from players will pillory an organization like the Lakers for giving Kobe Bryant a legacy contract and basically hamstringing that franchise for a couple of years. So if it came out later that the Celtics had a chance to trade a busted-ass Isaiah Thomas for Kyrie Irving and didn't do it out of loyalty to Isaiah Thomas, I think the fans would be pretty upset about that. So it's a tough situation and obviously tougher for no one than it is for Isaiah, uh, who now has to play on a minimum contract and hope that he can play well enough to earn at least some recompense for the money he lost by having the season he just had. But, I mean, all you can really say is just like a a really unfortunate set of circumstances for him.
2: Yeah, I mean... It's, you know, I I think cautionary tale is almost too weird of a thing to say because, like Joe mentioned, it's such a a unique set of circumstances that you just don't see all the time, right? Um, A, most guys that are averaging, he basically, he he averaged 28.9 points that season. So, essentially 29 points per game. He averaged 29 points per game for the number one seed in the Eastern Conference in his age 28 season, a year away from free agency. Like, most guys who fit all those categories are kind of like, perennial stars right that are always going to be in that conversation and so an injury doesn't necessarily change you know like look at Kawhi for example yeah um yeah sure there's some question marks about his injury but at the same time I don't think anyone's sitting there being like oh is Kawhi really a max guy like no he is with Isaiah he was kind of a late bloomer from a star perspective he had two really good years in Boston but he's undersized late bloomer with a hip injury it was just this like the, the chances that a guy like that would even become the star that he did were, was unlikely, and then the chances that he'd get hurt, and like, just too many things happen in this situation where I don't think we'll ever see it again, right. um, but it is insane when you think about it, right? Like, 29 points per game in your age 28 season, a year away from free agency, and then a year later, you're getting the veterans minimum to go play in Denver, like, where there's no guarantee, like, he, yeah, he that's should not thing. start, like, he's not as good as Jamal Murray right now, he's not. But um, you could move Jamal Murray off ball. Yeah, you can. Have, you can start them both, yeah. um, but just in general, like there's a lot of shot creators on that team who can sure. get their own offense. Like Will Barton, um, Jamal Murray, even Jokic. Obviously, can run an offense. Paul Millsap. Like, there's not a lot of ball left to go around in Denver, and Isaiah Thomas literally needs the ball to have any sort of uh, positive impact on a basketball court because he is the worst defender in the league. Um, you know, through no fault of his own. Uh, So yeah, just a crazy turn of events, but I don't think this at all affects like the way, like from a loyalty perspective, I don't think anyone can judge or will judge the Celtics. I think, I think Danny Ainge is known as being a shrewd um, dealmaker and business, you know, basketball business manager, who's going to do what he thinks is right for the Celtics as he should. And I think, you know, unless we're talking about a player, like really getting screwed by a franchise, Mm mm-hmm. I don't think players are ever looking at this being like, "Wow, did you see what the Celtics did to Isaiah? I'm not playing there." It's like, no. If the situation's right for that player and the money is right for that player, they're going to play. You know, where they want to play. It's, they're not going to be discouraged from going to certain markets because of like one thing that happened with one player. And as
1: far as it being a cautionary tale for other players, I just I think you made a good point. There aren't really any comparables, right, to a guy who's five nine becoming the kind of offensive super, superstar that Isaiah became. The margin of for error with him was always going to be so, so slim because he was never going to be able to provide any defensive value. So in order to be a big-money player, he was always going to have to be an offensive superstar. And for him to maintain that level of production was always going to be really difficult. And you saw it's like one small thing. Maybe right. not a small thing, but one thing, like a hip injury – affects his explosiveness just like that one little bit. He's no longer able to turn the corner the way that he once was and game separation the way that he once could, finish at the rim the way that he could. Suddenly, he has no value anymore because he's not giving you anything at the defensive end, and he's giving you basically average at best production offensively. So, you know, what is he right now except a below-average NBA player? Okay, we'll say that much, but, I mean, come on.
0: $2 million is is just so low and like quite honestly he could have gone somewhere else where he could have had more opportunity i'm a little bit curious like why do you guys think he picked denver of all places because there's not a lot of shots to go around like you might say well they need a point guard um because jamal murray isn't really a true point guard but like man uh, even there like that whole team is 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 they really need defense and they need someone to pass the ball and Isaiah is a he can pass the ball but i mean he's a shoot first point guard like It doesn't seem like a great fit. And if you're going to take the minimum, at least go to a different place where, you know, you could get more opportunity from another team. The market couldn't have been that bad for him, right? Like some team has his gamble on him. Like this is like a super – this is like it's similar to the boogie thing. Someone should take a gamble. I I agree with you that someone should have taken a gamble.
2: But the one thing I disagree with you is when you said his market couldn't have been that bad. I think it must have been. I think for him to have ended up in Denver – and I'm not saying anything negative about Denver. The Nuggets were a really exciting – um young team that should be a playoff team, although they should have been one last year too. Probably would have been if Millsap didn't get hurt. But they're a good team um with some exciting young talent. The Nuggets are in a really good spot. But again, like for Isaiah, there's not a lot of opportunity there. And it's obviously not like they were outbidding anyone. So the fact that he did end up there to me does speak to the fact that there must not have been a market for him. Maybe at all. And yeah. it's also sorry, it's also mid July, right? It's not like this happened on July 3rd That's where you true. can be like, like this is mid July. I if there was a market for them at least above the minimum, it probably would have been there by now.
1: I mean, I think we just seen this off season that there, there is is I don't know if you want to call it a market correction, but basically wings are in high demand right now, and they're getting full value. Right, like somebody, somebody like Trevor Ariza, who is a specialist, yeah. who is thirty four years old, can still go and get fifteen million dollars a year. Um, and be, be, there just like aren't enough wings to go around, high end wings anyway. And there are a ton of point guards in the league. Like nobody really has a need at that position. And the teams that do have a need at the position, you know, you can throw out like Phoenix or Orlando. I don't think Phoenix was really wanting to go there with Isaiah again after how things turned out the first time around. Um, and Orlando, I just think would probably rather give those minutes to somebody else. If you're a rebuilding team, like, do you want to give a lot of minutes to Isaiah Thomas and, and let him use that year to rebuild his value or try to? Or would you rather give it to a young guy who you see as being part of your long-term future? I mean, I, I just think that's the problem, right? There, there was no need for a player like Isaiah who is a one-way player. And you don't know what you're going to get, but you're not really expecting for him to be a long-term piece, so... If you're a contending team, you probably already have a good point guard. And if you're a rebuilding team, it's like you are trying to create one. And Isaiah's caught in this weird middle ground where, you know, it, Denver's probably not a bad place for him to go. Maybe he won't have a huge role there. Maybe he'll flop. But they're probably going to be a playoff team, so he's going to have the opportunity to play high leverage minutes at some
0: point in time, probably. Maybe. I mean, like, it's tough. Like, they, they have so many guards. And, like, unless you're going to play Will Barton at the four or not put him on the floor at all, like... You're just not going to be able to play all four of those guys, like, in the backcourt. It's a, it's a crowded backcourt, despite the fact they have no point. They basically have an issue of they only have shooting guards and, like, you know, power forwards. Well...
1: I think, okay, there's, there's a chance that him and Murray aren't going to play together very often because yeah. that is a backcourt that's just begging to be exploited defensively. Yeah. But I think him and Gary Harris could work pretty well because okay. Gary Harris is more of an off-ball guard and can actually you know, guard twos credibly. So Isaiah at least is not going to have to guard up a position and maybe right. not going to get exposed as badly. Um, so I think that's a pairing that could work. And look, I know he's definitely better with the ball in his hands, but he's still a good shooter who yeah. can space the floor and can probably work effectively as a spot-up threat. So I don't think it's a terrible marriage. And, you know, look, I hope for his sake that he does have a bounce-back year. Yeah, for sure. And maybe that's you know that's not going to look like him playing 30, 35 minutes a game and scoring 20 points a game, but it might just look like him playing 15 to 20 minutes a game and being super efficient and looking a little bit more like his old explosive self.
0: Yeah, and that's the part where, I, I again, I still don't understand why other teams didn't take a chance. Like, if you look at Houston, they don't even have a backup point guard, right? Like, why not take Isaiah Thomas? Like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of upside there. Even if he recovers to the point where, you know what, maybe he's not the 29 points per game that he was in Boston. Or even, like, the two years before that when he was named All-Star. Um, maybe he's just, like, the guy he was in Sacramento, which was, like, a decent, you know, bench producer. He's, like, a very small Lou Williams right? Averaging like, you know, between like 14 points a game, something like that, like even that, if you get that for $2 million off the bench, that's pretty good, so I'm a little bit baffled by why Isaiah Thomas has to do this, um, you know, also it would have been pretty funny to see the Warriors sign him, I'm not gonna lie, <laughs> just to see people freak out again, but uh, yeah, I mean I, I just think that um, obviously, I feel very bad for Isaiah, like it's it's been one of the most um, disappointing stories, because he was just such a like fun guy to root for, like full of swagger, um, really uh, vibed with sort of the, you know, the the ethos of what the Celtics stand for. And, you know, a lot of franchises could probably use a guy like that who's, you know, magnetic and, and you know, a pretty capable player when healthy. But, uh, yeah, it's just unfortunate to see him go that uh, go down this path. Um, moving on to someone else who will probably take the minimum, Carmelo Anthony. <laughs> Um yeah, well, look, we're talking about Carmelo Anthony, but like his future with OKC is is, you know, no longer basically. Like they're going to end up buying him out or trading him. They're probably not going to move to trade him, so they're going to buy him out. And if he is bought out, reports suggest that he um will likely land with the Rockets. The Rockets are the front runners to sign him. The Miami Heat were also considered. Cash. Um what are the Rockets doing this offseason? Because it looks like they're doing a lot of moving backwards.
2: No clue, man. They uh the, losing uh, Ariza and Bamute takes so much away from why they were. And look, I know we all know how good James Harden and Chris Paul are, and and even Clint Capella. But like losing those two guys takes away so much of the reasons that they were able to at least hang with the Warriors. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so they've taken a massive step back there. And then like losing those guys, but. Gaining Carmelo is like another five steps backwards. And it's like you're going in this completely opposite direction that does not at all jive with um, what Daryl Morey teams or what Mike D'Antoni teams. You know, we saw Mike D'Antoni and Carmelo clash in New York, even though they've apparently buried the hatchet. Like he just does not jive with what Mike D'Antoni does. He doesn't jive with a Daryl Morey team. Um, You know, Chris Paul and him are obviously best friends and he wants them there, but... I don't know, man. The Melo thing has always fascinated me because I've never really been a huge Melo guy. I don't know if any of us have been. I've always thought his offensive value was very overrated. He's never, even at his peak when he was obviously a great player and a great scorer, he's never scored as efficiently as like the true scoring legends of his time. Like, you know, we're talking about the Dirks. Even if you want to look at like the Hardens today, like Carmelo's never scored at that efficient of a level. And now at this point of his career when he, like he doesn't even do offense well um, like what does he do like he, you could say spot up and, and shoot threes he's a career 34% three point shooter who the last couple of years have been about 35 36 that's like practically league average there's just there's not a lot of value in having mellow and that's why it's always fascinated me that like among his peers he's incredibly respected he's seen it as a legend and like you know the banana boat crew and him and Wade and and CP and LeBron those guys swear by him so he's obviously doing something right To earn that recognition so good on him but I don't see what kind of value he has to a team that wants to win in 2018-19 and I certainly don't see any value in him joining a Rockets team that just lost those two other guys
1: okay well for it to work for it to be in in any measure successful they are gonna have to convince him to take on a, a lesser role than he played last season so that's step one um for 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 it to work like they're also going to have to adapt and basically reinvent themselves and look like a little bit different of a team which i think they've proven themselves willing to do like for one thing they really embraced iso ball last season oh Mello's um, gonna love that so <laughs> that you know mellow's a fit there right Mello loves iso ball and he just
2: doesn't do it as well anywhere near as well as chris paul or James of Harden. course
1: he doesn't do it as well as those guys but that doesn't i don't think he's necessarily bad at it like if he is, especially if he's coming off the bench and he's playing against other second units, he can still be an effective isolation scorer. The other thing is like, they're, they're probably not going to be able to switch as much on defense if if Mel is on the floor, right? Like other teams are going to target him and know that the Rockets are itching to switch and they might have to find some workarounds to that where they're, you know, exploring different pick and roll coverages and not switching everything because frankly, that's going to be a disaster. Mm-hmm. He's not a good switch guy. He, he was really, really bad defensively last year. But I think And we saw this a bit with the Chris Paul Move too like They ran into this problem in the playoffs Against the Spurs a couple years ago Where the Spurs were playing the pick and roll 2-on-2 And basically daring Harden to take mid-range Jumpers and floaters And he wasn't willing To do that he had kind of like beaten those Shots out of his system and He's frankly not that good at them So the Rockets offense Was basically you know they stalled out and Then they go and get Chris Paul who's one of the best pull-up mid-range shooters in the league. Mm-hmm. And that just gives them a little bit of a different element where, you know, they can adapt if if a defense tries to take the three pointer and shots at the rim away from them. So Melo, I think, would make them a little bit more flexible in that he is a guy who can just kind of grab the ball on the wing or in the post and get you a bucket. But I- I'm mostly in agreement. I just don't think especially for a team that had maybe the best offense we've ever seen last season. What's the point of adding a player whose only real contribution is going to be at the offensive end of the floor, right? Like, they almost beat the Warriors because of their defense. That was the reason they were in that series. Yep. And so I don't know if, if it would be a good idea to go and get a player who's going to scramble the defensive system that made you so successful in the first place.
0: Yeah, and look... It's one thing to just add mellow like in the summertime if you kept your other guys, but like you didn't keep your other guys. So like at that point you have to shift your focus. I mean like look the Rockets they did recover by getting James Ennis, which is like not a bad deal. Okay, cool. Um, he's still I like b- James Ennis. I think so do I. I think yeah. he'll be a good fit. He's like a, he's a bit unproven, but like you know honestly, can he come in and do what Ariza did? probably i mean like Ariza shot like 0 for 12 in that last game against the warriors and i can't James get that can I, I do play. that the combination <laughs> of
2: ariza and Bob Mute, right is exactly is kind of what he has to replace
0: yeah exactly and i mean you look at Melo; he loves to play iso ball that's an issue for him i mean first off we're not even talking about the fact that he has to get over his uh quarrel with uh, mike d'antoni like that did not end well in new york and d'antoni even admitted that he quit the team because of Carmelo. Now if that's five years ago, like Carmelo could have changed I think it was five or six years ago now. Like they could have changed as people. Like I'm sure the relationship's a little bit different, but that's a hurdle to go and get over. And like man, like like you mentioned, it's the, it's the defense, right? Like there were entire games last season where the Warriors would just play the Thunder and just go and try to isolate Carmelo every single time, knowing that he can't stay with a guy like KD. Now no one could really stay with KD, but Carmelo especially can't stay with KD um and, you know, teams are just going to continuously hunt that, which is just, I don't know. all I think all around it's a strange decision by the, the Rockets, but I also think the Rockets are caught off guard a little bit because this offseason just hasn't been very good for them, right? The biggest winner of the offseason is the Warriors, and it's not because of Cousins. It's because no actual contender has made it close to close the gap. The the Celtics are keeping it, you know, tight. um I guess no one else from the East is even remotely a challenge, and then the Rockets, like... So far, they've downgraded. They haven't even signed Clint Capella yet. Like, I'm not sure if you guys think that Capella might, you know, try to gamble and, and take a one year offer and then become a free agent, or if he takes uh, like the 85 million dollars that the Rockets are offering. But like, even that's a question. And if they don't have Capella, this roster makes no sense whatsoever. Especially since like, man, they just re-signed Chris Paul. Like, they're clearly all in. Like, you you can't make mistakes moving forward. And I, I said on a previous podcast, I was very confident. And Daryl Mo- Morey's ability to uh, to recruit, you know, supporting pieces. But Carballo's not that guy. No, like,
2: I think I'd be shocked if this summer ends without Capella signing a long-term deal in Houston. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's just they went into the West Finals against the Warriors with a very um, very plausible like, realistic plan of hanging with them by switching everything defensively and by putting the ball in the hands of two of the honestly, two of the most efficient ISO scores ever. And now it's like, you know, a few months later, they're not going to be able to switch everything defensively. And now it's like what they're banking on potentially Mello finally accepting a role that he has thus far said he will never accept. Like it's just, it's just crazy. Like yeah. it's such a stark contrast, right? To Like where they were just a couple months ago
0: and and where they presumably are now. And look, we're saying that about Melo. Melo kind of accepted that role last year in OKC, but begrudgingly. Did he really? Okay, he, he, begrudgingly though, like he did become the third option. He did like mostly shoot spot up jumpers, and like he just wasn't good at it. But that's he still la- he's still literally
2: laughing at the notion of, yeah, of people course. wanting him to come off the bench. Um,
1: like, he still played thirty minutes a game. Yeah, right
2: that's right, what right, I'm saying. Right, that's why I'm saying. Did he really? Okay, sure. Like he had a lower usage than Russell Westbrook and Paul George, but I don't necessarily think that means he, like, accepted any kind of role change. No, you saw him on the bench during that crazy comeback in Game 5 against the Jazz, like, berating a Thunder assistant
1: coach because he wanted to go back into the game. Yeah. You know, while the team's making this huge run without him, and it was plainly not coincidental either. Stay mellow. Stay mellow. Yeah. Um, the, The Capella thing's really interesting, right? Because... His only recourse at this point is to sign the qualifying offer, which is will be kind of crazy. I it, think. it would be a huge gamble. And I know bet on yourself is all the rage in the NBA these days. And, yeah. and I'm, you know, happy for anybody to go that route if they believe in themselves. And it very well could pay off for Capella if he decides to do that. Yeah. But the fact is, there is no market for centers right now. So that's his only card to play. is is to basically go to the Rockets and say, if you don't offer me this, I'm going to take the qualifying offer and I'm going to leave as an unrestricted free agent. And maybe that is enough to get them to up their offer to whatever he wants it to be, but they could very well just call his bluff and they would probably be right to call his bluff because that would be an insane gamble to turn down, you know, 85 million in guaranteed money to take what? What is his qualifying offer? Like $4 million? Yeah. I mean... That's a, that's a crazy risk, and if you want to talk about cautionary tales, look at Nurlan Noel, man. Yeah,
0: exactly.
2: That dude turned down four years, seventy million dollars, and took his qualifying offer. Now he's playing for the minimum. Like you could make the I know I know it's obviously early in his career, but like you can make the argument Nurlan Noel might not make seventy million dollars combined over the rest of his career. Like I I think I would that's or make that yeah, argument. Yeah. yeah,
1: like it's he's so been eating hot dogs for a long time. <laughs>
2: it's a lot of hot dogs.
1: Um, <laughs> But yeah, so that, that is basically Capella's recourse at this point in time. And right now, I, I think it's basically just about how much goodwill the Rockets feel like they need to sow with him mm-hmm. and you know whether they want him, whether they want to risk him being disgruntled next year and in years to come because he didn't feel like they did right by him. Um, that's, you know, that's between him and the Rockets front office, and and they have to make that decision. You know, how, how frugal, how penny-pinching do they want to be? Do they want to p- pay the guy what they think he's worth? Or do they want to pay him, you know, based on the leverage that they have right now and based on how the market has valued him? Um, which right now is, like, y- if they really
0: wanted to squeeze him, they could squeeze him for way less than five years, 85, right? Yeah, they could squeeze him below their initial offer because yeah. the initial offer was based... Was made based off like well, there's probably someone out there that's going to sign him. Nobody's signing him, man, and that's unfortunate because Clint Capella has a, had a really good season, and he's had, you know, he's a really quality player. Um, I mean,
1: this is why it, it sucks that there wasn't a team out there that was willing to. What were the Mavericks to make, doing to sign make Clint. a big offer sheet? Right, like the Lakers could have made a big offer sheet. Yep. You know, like they. No, but they got JaVale, though. Great. That's a, that's they got JaVale. Like, gotcha. They got KCP, but Capella would have been a great, great signing for them. Yeah. And at the very least, they could have made the Rockets super uncomfortable. And that's a conference rival, right? Yeah. Like, if if they wanted to throw a five-year, $120 million offer at Capella. Come on.
0: You can't freeze can, that cap room they when you when able they need to would, sign. Would they have been able to give him five years, though, as a as not his own team? Uh, no, they wouldn't. you right, right. But yeah, okay. they could have given them like crazy money. and Well, I mean, they wouldn't have been with the resign KCP then. Come on, man. Clutch yeah. Sports is a, is a combo deal, all right.
1: I know, look, you know, teams are, I guess, justifiably scared off of of submitting these big offer sheets because your cap space gets tied up yeah. for 48 hours, which could ultimately cost you a big free agent that you might want to get and, and like. leave you stranded. But. Um, I'm just surprised. Rondo, I am th- I, you know? I think I think Capella is worth it and you know w- what what really would have been the downside of that if you were the Lakers yeah you know Lance Stevenson picks another team oh man Jesus what are you gonna do without Lance
0: what are you gonna do without Rondo come on man R- Rob Palinka compared him to uh Dennis Rodman and uh a metal world <laughs> piece like no nah, I mean that would have been the best case scenario for them they could have
1: saved themselves from themselves yeah um but yeah, I mean, at this point, the Rockets, I think, control the negotiation, and and, and Capella, you know, the the one the one
0: card he has to play is the is taking the QO, and I just don't see that happening. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of what's not going to happen, um, Raptors fans have talked themselves fervently into the idea that Kawhi Leonard might be coming to the Raptors. Couldn't this summer. be me. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, it, there have been no reports about it, like no solid reports. Really, what people are going off of is like. People guessing in mock trades and also Vegas, one bookmaker uh, put the Raptors as the favorites to land Kawhi, which, you know, okay, all right, they're in Las Vegas right now for Summer League. Like, you know, maybe they're talking, maybe they have some execs down there, maybe they have some inside information, but I mean, this is hardly Woj or Sham saying that the Raptors are in the mix, but, you know, whatever. Let's just entertain the idea. Um, Cash, Kawhi to the Raptors. I mean, all right. First of all, so Tim Bontemps did.
2: It did start with Tim Bontemps reporting that um, the Raptors were like someone in the mix, I think. Creating
1: buzz, I think. Right, creating buzz. So, like,
2: there was some reporting out there that. What does that mean, creating buzz? The Raptors were. We're talking Kawhi. And then it just so happened that the next day, DeMar DeRozan, you know, wipes his Instagram clean and puts up like a cryptic Instagram story where he said something about how he, something about like the ups and the downs of the journey. So the combination of the Bontemps report and DeMar DeRozan's social media behavior then led, apparently, to the Raptors becoming the odds on favorites to land Kawhi in Vegas, which even that. I'm not convinced about because the source of those odds is still a place called my bookie literally called I think my dot net or something It's not one of these like big well-known sports books and so they're I, not taking big bets That's something so I don't even really know if it's even like fair to say they've become right. the odds-on favorite in Vegas I think they're the odds-on favorite in this one bookie that like no one had even heard of till 48 hours ago mm-hmm. So I, I don't really believe any of the buzz now having said all of that Yeah the Raptors do make some sort of sense okay. as a potential Kawhi landing let's, spot. Let's get ready to disappoint Raptors fans. No, listen. They okay. The Raptors have essentially a mm. two-year window remaining, yep. so it's not like um, you know tr- going all in on a one, potential one-year rental is going to like dramatically decrease this window of contention because it's a two-year window remaining anyway. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing. Mm-hmm. Two, I do think that Masayu Ujiri is the kind of guy, and as he should be, that has faith in the type of culture that he has built in Toronto. Yeah. Um, you know, you can go back to, and I know like a lot of people laugh about it, but I, I can't remember if it was Woj or Stein, like someone had done a report a couple years ago, kind of detailing the free agency of LaMarcus Aldridge. And in that report, um, he had oh, said yeah. that like LaMarcus didn't have the Raptors on his list at all, but then ended up taking a meeting with Masai, like out of respect or whatever, and ended up being so blown away yeah. by Masai Ujiri in this meeting that That he was close to getting on a flight and, like, coming at least for a tour to Toronto, if not for the fact that Popovich just, like, kind of, like, put his foot down and was like, no, we're doing this. So, there is reportedly, like, a pattern where Masai Ujiri is a very persuasive guy who's built a great culture in Toronto. Mm -hmm. They're a perennial semi-contender, whatever you want to say. Like, it's very similar to the culture Sam Presti bet on. In Oklahoma City, when they traded for Paul George, with a year left on his deal, when everyone who's anyone in the NBA was convinced Paul George was going to walk for the Lakers in 2018. And that didn't happen. That one year in OKC, with Russell Westbrook jacking 48 shots a quarter, somehow <laughs> convinced Paul George to stay in OKC. So, like, they're, I don't think it's crazy... For someone like Masai Ujiri to trade for rental with the belief that, hey, we can, like, this isn't a rental. We're doing this with the hopes that, like, this guy's going to be here long-term. Now, having said that, um, if that's not the case, and he does, if a team like the Raptors does trade for and it's a rental, that's obviously a very tough pill to swallow. But, you know, at some point, you've got to swing for the fences. Um, And Masai Ujiri has not done that since drafting Bruno cabal with the 20th pick. What about about Serge Ibaka? It's about due time. (laughs) What about Terrence Um, Ross for (laughs) Serge Ibaka? The Raptors don't have the bevy of young assets that, like young players and draft pick assets that teams like Boston and Philly have, but they do have some intriguing young talent and you know, if you combine a DeRozan with, like, one of OGN and Obi or Pascal Siakam, maybe a guy like DeLon Wright, and yeah, you'd have to throw a draft pick in there. Like, that is an insane package if, if Kawhi walks in a year, but Masai Ujiri's not making that deal on the assumption that he's walking in a year. And that's what you have to remember. Okay, well,
1: so I want to answer this in two parts. As far as the rumors go, I don't necessarily think there's any credibility to them. For one thing, because... The Raptors are famously tight-lipped. Yeah. Nothing really tends to leak from that front office, and when it does, it's almost always Woj who's picking it up. He's the guy who I think is connected to that front office, and,
0: and he will basically have any Raptors scoop that means anything. Hey, man, he shared a car ride with Kyle Lowry in a van down the 404. He
1: got DeMar DeRozan to open up on his podcast. It was beautiful. Um, yep. But I, I just think there, there aren't really any leaks in that front office, so... If something is getting leaked to the media about Kawhi uh, being connected to the Raptors, I have to think that it's coming from Kawhi's camp. Or it's coming from some other team that has some other vested interest in starting some sort of a bidding war, right? And given the fact that there hasn't been any kind of news or movement on the trade front where Kawhi is concerned... I think it would definitely serve him and his team's interest to create some sort of buzz. And, like, those those words creating a buzz that Tim Bontemps used in that report, to me, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Because as soon as he publishes that, boom, there's a buzz, mm. right? Like, people are talking about the Raptors and Kawhi. The odds are moving. What's going on? Oh, man, it's buzzy. Raptors you know, fans are get- disappointing themselves. <laughs> My bookie. So... You know, and then the line on one bookmaker moves, and then the rest of the bookmakers sort of follow suit. It doesn't necessarily mean anything. There's there there's a lot of smoke. It doesn't necessarily mean there's fire. There might be, but we have no indication that there's any kind of significant traction on a deal here.
2: There's there's some like kindling and a lit cigarette in the corner. Like that's what at it best. Is. Like yeah. Um.
1: So that's one thing, and the other thing is. Look, I I agree to a point. The Raptors are more desperate than the Sixers and the Celtics Mm -hmm. to make a big swing uh, because they have more of an abbreviated window because their prospects don't seem to have the same kind of upside. Their future isn't as bright. So now feels like their time more than it does for those other two teams. But it's kind of counterintuitive to say, like, you know, the Raptors are have this rebuild coming anyway in a couple of years so if Kawhi walks after a year then it's not the end of the world because they were planning on rebooting it in two years anyway and now they'll just reboot it earlier but if they make a trade you know a good portion of their prospect capital is going the other way so if you do that and Kawhi walks after a year it's gonna be a lot more difficult to start that rebuild right like the the idea of this window is in part founded on the fact that they have these young guys who are ready to sort of step in, maybe not carry them to the heights that they, you know, have achieved the last few years, but at least be, you know, competent enough to serve as like the second wave of talent for a team that can continue to be a playoff team, continue to be reasonably competitive. And if you are trading OG Ananobi and or Pascal Siakam and or DeLon Wright and or a future first round draft pick, suddenly. You're staring at a pretty depressing rebuild if and when Kawhi leaves. So, you can't have it both ways, right? You can't say that like, you know, like it doesn't matter as much for the Raptors because uh, there's this rebuild coming anyway. But also, it doesn't matter if you ship out these assets that are going to be a big part of the rebuild that you eventually do undertake.
0: Yeah, and look, I think any sort of deal that's centering around Kawhi also has to involve DeMar DeRozan um, and there's a lot of I, I don't think like uh, in terms of just swapping players in a vacuum of course Kawhi's better than DeMar no doubt on both ends of the floor Kawhi's a better scorer a better shooter um, I don't know the playmaking's about the same but you know defensively it's not close uh, DeMar is you know one of the worst defensive players at his position uh, and Kawhi is literally a two-time defensive player of the year But, I mean, look, in terms of just, like, what the Raptors are built on, like, something as nebulous as culture, right? You can't get rid of the coach and then get rid of the franchise player for a one-year shot at Kawhi where it's just, I don't know. I mean, you can, I guess, but it's a huge gamble is what I'm trying to say. And, like, if if the Raptors do that, it's almost like them saying that this last run that they've had, this, like, five-year window – where they've gone to the playoffs and they've rebuilt a lot of equity within their fan base and also just respectability around the league. Like, you're just basically saying none of that mattered because, man, we're just going to throw away our cornerstones for this one chance where Kawhi might not be healthy. We've already seen him basically pull tricks to like force his way out of San Antonio. In an expiring walk year, it's going to be, it probably will be even worse and who knows how committed he's going to be in that one year who right? knows like, how healthy he is this guy played nine games last year and I nobody th- nobody knows if he's
2: healthy or not again no I think if Masai or any other GM is pulling the trigger on a trade I yeah. think they've done their due diligence and I right. think they'd be very confident like at least in his health if not in their ability to spend a year convincing him to stay long term like yeah I just I think rumors are one thing right sure teams are talking and I yeah. I think that's that's reasonable I think it's once a team actually pulls a trigger on a Kawhi trade, that's when, you know, that's when we can look at it a little differently. But again, I think once that trigger's pulled that to me, that's that GM saying like, and that organization saying like, we've done our due diligence. Like we believe this guy's ready yeah. to go and be that MVP caliber talent that he was a year and a half ago. Yeah. And if not, if that's not the case, then whatever GM does pull that trigger is making a huge mistake because you can't do that not knowing Kawhi's healthy.
0: Yeah, but also chances are that this is not even a real story worth talking about. I mean, like, if you're if you're the Spurs, what incentive do you have to trade Kawhi right now? It's not like the rest of the league is going to change dramatically from now until, you know, start a training camp. So you might as well wait, like, wait into the summertime, you know, like, look at how the Cavaliers, which we all would, you know, agree is a less accomplished front office than the Spurs, right, like, They waited until August to to get rid of Kyrie Irving, and Kyrie was at least mostly healthy at that time. Um, You know, if you're the Spurs, just wait. Keep waiting. Like, the real first, like, hard deadline is training camp, Um, and, you know, the longer you wait, maybe more teams get involved, maybe more teams start to emerge in the mix, and that's all you're really hoping for if you're San Antonio, because... You know, you really don't have that much else. You don't really have much leverage. Like if if Kawhi is willing to do this much to get out of the town and go to Los Angeles, like he's going to continue playing backhand. So I don't agree. You might that as they, well just I, I don't agree that they can really afford to wait. I mean, they they, they don't
1: have to make a move right now, but they can't afford right. to wait that long. You know, this is like but a, what's going to change a devaluing asset.
0: Well, what's going to change between now and September? He, he, he's only going to get healthier. What's going to change That's is,
1: you know, if you are a team like Philadelphia or Boston yeah. and Toronto, and as soon as you acquire him, the clock is ticking. You have, like, nine months to sell him on your city, yeah. on your team, on your culture, on your coaching staff, whatever you have to sell him on. Like, You need to maximize the amount of time that you have like, to integrate him and to sell him on your vision of him as part of your you know your team's future. And if this drags out like into training camp, then, you know, you're losing valuable time. And so if you're one of those teams that is already kind of playing from behind because you expect him to sign with the Lakers or that's what he's put out there that he wants to sign with the Lakers next summer, then I think you're going to be less inclined to trade for him.
2: That's my feeling. I think unless the Spurs, for whatever reason, believe that they actually can salvage this relationship, I think he's on another team by opening day. Like, I don't think they can go past training camp.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's take a quick break right here. Uh, And when we come back, we'll talk about Jimmy Butler's future with Minnesota and also bring back Make or Miss. It's been too long. Welcome back to the second half of the podcast. Uh, As always, a friendly reminder to support the show by rating, reviewing, subscribing. Um, Those iTunes reviews, maybe. They warm my soul all right let's talk about uh jimmy butler who you know turned down a reported 110 million dollar contract extension over four years with the timberwolves this sounds bad it's not actually that bad um you know timberwolves owner uh glenn taylor went on espn 1500 and talked about how butler's group was actually really appreciative that you know they reached out and offered this money and they just told them it doesn't really make financial sense because Butler could sign a four year, $140 million deal uh, next summer as a free agent. Um, or if he chose to re sign with the Wolves, he could sign up to $188 million over five years, which both figures are obviously way bigger than uh, $110 right now. So, Cash, do you think people are making too big of a deal out of this? Or do you think there might be some smoke in terms of Butler's happiness? Or unhappiness with Minnesota? I think people are making too big of a
2: deal out of the specific contract situation. Like, I don't think um, whether or not he took this contract, you know, should be a big deal. But I don't think the fact that his happiness in Minnesota is a like talking point, I don't think that's being made too big of a deal. Like, I think that's a legitimate thing. Um, there's been a lot of smoke. You know, we talked earlier about like where there's smoke, there's fun. Like, this is a situation where there was a lot of smoke this season first about. You know him not necessarily being sold on Andrew Wiggins and then later same thing with Carl Anthony Towns Um, you know even early in the season if you remember like Jimmy Butler came out and was kind of like harsh on on the team I don't remember what had happened they had like a winning streak and then they lost a kind of a winnable game and he came out and said that like they basically they had like kind of overhyped themselves and they weren't as good as they thought they were like Jimmy Butler and Tom Thibodeau there's a reason why they have a very perfect marriage as a player and coach. It's because they're very much alike. They're very maniacal about the game and the way you prepare for the game. And I don't know if Andrew Wiggins and Carl Anthony Towns fall into that boat. Um, So, yeah, I think, you know, I think he's definitely at least slightly ruffled in Minnesota, but I don't think just contracting plays into that.
1: Yeah, I really think you have to separate those two things contextually, right? Because. It's no longer any secret that he's not super pleased with the situation in Minnesota. It doesn't mean that that can't change. doesn't mean that he's not going to ultimately resign. But he has openly talked about you know, how he how he's not jazzed about the compete level there. And he hasn't necessarily named any names, even though it's kind of come out in these leaked reports to the media that he is particularly unimpressed with Andrew Wiggins and Carl Anthony Towns. But this was a thing even when he was with the Bulls. And with the Bulls, young players like Nico Miritich and Bobby Portis, like, they were kind of beefing in his last season in Chicago. Um, and the reports that came out of that locker room were that, I mean, they, they weren't even reports. Like, him and Dwayne Wade were going to the media, trashing these young players, saying that they weren't, they weren't committed to their craft. And, you know, then they needed, <laughs> needed Ray John Rondo to call them out on Instagram in, in order to uh, basically realize that that wasn't the best way to lead. Uh, this has kind of been a pattern with him, so it, it might not necessarily mean a whole lot because even toward the end in Chicago, like he was at least saying all the right things about wanting to stay there, and that might still be the case in Minnesota. This just might be his way of trying to like get Wiggins and Cat fired up rather than try to alienate them, and that's just his way of going about things. I really have no idea, but as far as the contract thing, like I don't think. It, that many people really ever expected him to sign that extension anyway. Um, And the thing with those extensions is there's a limit on how much you can make. You know, you can only make... uh, You get, like, a 25% raise from uh, what you're already making. They offered him the maximum that they could offer him, but it's still way less than he can make on the open market next year. Right. And a player of Jimmy Butler's caliber who is in his prime is very rarely, if ever, going to sign that extension rather than just playing out the year and signing a max deal in free agency. So uh, I don't think that this has anything to do with the other stuff about how he feels about the rest of the players on the Wolves. That said, I frankly would kind of be surprised if he was on Minnesota past
2: this season.
0: Yeah. I don't, I don't think
2: he's, he's long for Minnesota.
0: Well, I mean, okay. If we say that, then isn't there, if you're Minnesota, wouldn't you try to look out for your bottom line and try to, avoid a situation where... I mean, look, they're kind of... Their hands are tied, obviously, right? Like, he finally took them to the playoffs for the first time in, like, 14 years. You can't get rid of him then. He was clearly the best player on the team. Like, you can argue maybe Towns was more effective on offense. Um, but overall, in terms of from a leadership perspective, from defensively and everything like that, you know, Butler was that whole franchise. Uh, and so you can't really let him walk. But also, if you know he's going to walk and you know you haven't really upgraded your team whatsoever... And the West has just gotten stronger with LeBron going there. I mean, they were the 8th seed. The Lakers didn't make the playoffs. LeBron's now there. LeBron's going to make the playoffs. You know, if they're the 8th seed again, they're going to be the ninth seed this year, right? So Also, Denver, who they made the playoffs at an expense yep.
2: of Denver, is going to be better this year. And I think will be better than Minnesota. So, like, there's two non-playoff teams right. right there
0: that... Right. And so, you know, you if you're Minnesota, you gave up a lot of assets to get Butler here in the first place. And I think we all agree that was a good trade um, because those players aside aside from Lori market and haven't really turned into uh, world beaters necessarily, but like, you might need to recoup some value. And so I don't know. I mean, if, if it, if it's not going well by the trade deadline, there, there might be some talks about whether or not the bulls might look to trade Butler. Like that's, that's something to watch. They're, they're generating buzz. I, I think, <laughs> generating I buzz, think baby. you're
2: speaking about the Minnesota Timberwolves as if they're run by a competent executive and and instead you're forgetting that they're run by Tom Thibodeau. That's true. And Tom Thibodeau, the coach, we're not talking about Tom Thibodeau, the executive, has been pretty trash. Yeah. And um sure, if they're like well out of the race by the deadline and they're very clearly not going anywhere and not going to retain Jimmy Butler, then yeah, I think it'd be very obvious that Thibodeau will like sniff out the market for Jimmy and probably get what he can from him. But if they're like in the race, even minutely. Like, if they're like three games out and, you know, there's even an inkling that Jimmy Butler might say it, like, Tom Thibodeau's not moving them. Tom Thibodeau's sure. not going to accept defeat if that team can still get another eight seed. And Glenn Taylor's probably not accepting defeat if mm-hmm. they can potentially sell two more home playoff dates. Like, it's just for me, they would have to be way out of the race already by the deadline um, for that move to happen.
1: They're in a really interesting spot because we've talked about before, their financial situation is going to be really tenuous, and you have Andrew Wiggins on this max contract that's going to be untradeable, in my opinion. Uh, They're probably going to sign Cat to a max extension, and then if they want to keep Jimmy Butler, they're probably going to have to sign him to a max deal as well. So the early returns are not great on that trio. The... If you look at, basically, Towns and Wiggins' numbers with Jimmy Butler off of the floor, it's insane. Like, that team was really, really bad without Jimmy Butler last season. So, where do you go from there? Like, on the one hand, he doesn't seem like a great on-court or cultural fit necessarily with this team. That's not necessarily his fault, but I do think there's a lot of overlap between him and Wiggins and that's maybe part of the reasons the reason that Wiggins felt so marginalized last season Um, and certainly his leadership style seems to have graded on those young guys as well so at the end of the day you know whether you like it or not those are the guys that you have long term you have Wiggins for at least five more years presumably and you have Cat for however long you know five or more years so Maybe you look at the situation and you say, okay, Jimmy was great for us this season. He's the only reason we made the playoffs. But frankly, these are the guys that we have hitched our wagon to and we need to figure out how to make it work with them. And, you know, I think they might come to the conclusion that Jimmy Butler's not the best guy to make that happen and then, you know, start thinking about who the best guy or guys would be and try and flip Butler for you know, a player or players who are going to make more sense and at least be able to grow with Wiggins and Cat and make it work in a way that didn't really work last year and might not work this year.
0: I'd- yeah, they could even get Laurie Markin and Zach Levine <laughs> I and mean, Chris
2: Dunn. I, mean. I think the really interesting, fascinating, and to be honest, depressing thing, uh, if you're a Timberwolves fan, is like, you know, when you talk about – um Like usually when you have young talents like Andrew Wiggins and Carl Anthony Towns and you're, you know, thinking about the fact that your cap sheet's gonna be clogged for a long time because of like max deals for guys like that, you usually speak about it like, Well, this is a good problem to have. Of course, but it's a great problem to have, you know. We've got this contending young team with this young talent and of course we're gonna keep them together, like and we'll deal with the rest later. The depressing thing for the Timberwolves is like they're going to have this clogged cap sheet with these two young stars, but it was proven again this year that these two young stars alone are not even good enough to be a playoff team, let alone a contender, if it wasn't yeah, for Jimmy they fell Butler. fell apart when so, Butler like, was injured. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, like, it, it's so different from the usual situation when you've got these, like, two max-level young superstars because you're usually good, and they're yeah, not right. good with, with those two guys. But
1: young is still the operative word there, right? Yes. And, look, I'm not super optimistic that Wiggins ever becomes the player people thought he was going to be or even close to that. But I don't think he's done developing, and I still do think that he can become, you know, a pretty valuable two-way wing. So I think you kind of just have to ride it out at this point and and hope that you can help those guys develop to their full potential. And, you know, maybe it just comes down to finding, uh, finding a player who better fits their timeline. Because Butler is, what, 28? Um, and I think is just itching to be competitive, more competitive than he was last season with Minnesota. You know, I don't think a five-game first-round exit is really going to cut it for him. If that happens again this season, you know, I think that's probably enough if what he's seen already hasn't been enough to push him out the door. So, you know, they they need to maybe just start thinking longer term and like, okay, if we trade Butler now, we're not going to make the playoffs this year. We're maybe not going to make the playoffs next year. But maybe two, three, four years down the line, this is really you know, going to start to bear some fruit. Um, because at the end of the day, if they make the playoffs as a seven or eight seed and get booted out of the playoffs as rudely as they did this past season, again, then was it really worth it you know, when they had a chance
0: to flip him for, for another long, longer-term piece? Mm-hmm. All right, to close the show then, let's uh, wrap up with Make or Miss, an old classic that uh, we retired after the season was done. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of you know, small topics right now. This is a convenient way to clean those up. All right, make or miss. Uh, if you agree, that's a make. If you disagree, it's a miss. First one, Bulls made a mistake by matching the $78 million over four years offer for Zach Levine, um, the offer sheet that he signed from the Kings.
2: I am going to say it's a make, that they did make a mistake. All right. uh, Zach Levine's not worth anywhere near that money. But I will add with the caveat that it's a mistake I believe like 90% of other teams would have made because as I was saying on our last podcast— he, Zach not good enough to get that money, but he's also still too intriguing of a young prospect to just let walk for nothing, especially when he was like kind of seen as the crown jewel of that Jimmy Butler trade.
1: Mm. I will call it a make, and I'm not really going to qualify it. Like, yes, he was a big part of that Jimmy Butler trade package. Yes. The bulls probably felt pot committed for that reason. Um But Like, contrary to the way these things sometimes go, they actually, like, if you look at the pieces they got in that Jimmy Butler trade, they're still pretty okay. They got Larry Markkinen, who looks like he could be a future, you know, tentpole franchise player. And they got Chris Dunn, who is probably a backup point guard, but has the potential to grow into something more than that. And even if he is, like, he's already, I think, a pretty good backup point guard who has significant defensive upside so to get those two pieces in that deal I think is good enough to not commit this amount of money to a player who I don't see as being you know worthy of it and there's an opportunity cost here I think that you have to take into account where you know the the, the potential of Zach Levine growing into the kind of player who's worth this contract I think is outweighed by the potential opportunity cost of you know, we talked a couple of podcasts ago, like maybe you jinxed it when you were lavishing praise on Garpaks for how smart they've been in the past couple of years. And the Bulls being a, a franchise that maybe a marquee free agent might want to sign with. I don't think I ever said that. No? You (laughs) were talking about how they they have all this cap space and like nobody's really talking about them as a free agent destination.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, I I meant it as like they've got all this cap space and no one's talking about them as a free agent destination, which is crazy because they're in a big market. Right. But I meant it more as like because of guard Packs and what they've done. Oh, okay. It's kind of like Yeah. I mean, yeah, for me it's like it is a pretty
1: iconic franchise in a big market with a lot of cap space and So the opportunity cost for me is greater than the potential risk of letting Levine go Mm -hmm. with the small chance that he grows into a star elsewhere. And, you know, he was going to go to the Kings if they didn't match. So that chance, I think, grows even smaller that he was going to develop into a star that they would have missed
0: out on. Yeah, I thought this was going to be a real easy make for you guys to say, considering it was the Kings that signed him. And if you were to match a decision by the Kings, it's usually not a good sign. All
2: right, we're out of time on make or miss.
0: Um... (laughs) Next one, also about the Bulls. Uh, make or miss, the Bulls should sign Jabari Parker away from the Bucks. It's a nice little buy low opportunity, perhaps.
1: I guess it's a make um, because well, it's a nice story for Jabari you get to mm-hmm. go play at home, and maybe that'll unlock something in him that he didn't seem to find in Milwaukee. He I can think share a- ACL recovery tips with Zach Levine right. <laughs> while they both not play. Um, no, I think it has a bet- has a chance to be a better basketball fit as well. Um, and I think what. Is I haven't crunched the numbers, but I I think what's beneficial about this is that the Bucks are hard capped. Um, so 129 million, right? So what? And what are they at right now?
0: Like about 110. It depends on what contracts they move around. So
1: yeah, I think that that puts the Bulls in a position where they can basically make it impossible for the Bucks to match without it being some ludicrous number. Um, and I think that, that puts them in a, like a good position to get him on a, a reasonable deal.
2: Yeah. And if you can like, you know, take a gamble, not even a gamble, like if it's a buy low kind of thing on a still intriguing talent, like Jabari Parker, without affecting the fact that they'll still have a ton of cap space in the next couple of years in the market Joe was talking about. Yeah. I think it's a no brainer. They should try that.
0: Okay. Next one. Make or miss. Do you, are the Nets a free agent player in 2019? They've cleared out 69 million in cap room. Um, nice. Yeah. Do you yes. buy that? Do you buy the, the Brooklyn as a team on the rise?
2: I definitely buy them as a team on the rise. I think maybe still an extra year away from being a, a legit free agent destination, but I think they're right there and knocking on the door. Like I've spoken about this on other podcasts too. The, the, the job Sean Marks has done yeah. quietly building up um, a franchise that was left like wandering waterless in the desert by Billy King you know, with like no young players and no assets draft wise for like half a decade. And Sean Mark's gonna came in and, and and made some really like smart, um, smart moves to to get this thing off the ground where now they've got some draft assets in the next coming years. They're doing things like taking on um it, you know taking on guys like Farid because it comes with a top twelve protected pick. Like they've made moves like that and yeah it hasn't made them more competitive in the short term, but it's got them on this trajectory to be like semi-competitive maybe over the next year or two, like year or two and then leading into free agency and it's New York you know like um, people laughed at the Nets the last few years because of the mess Billy King left behind but this is still a NBA franchise in yeah. New York City and if they've got the cap space and a sound GM making sound decision they're absolutely a player I'm still gonna call it a
1: miss and I'm, I'm not ruling out the possibility that a few years down the road they could definitely be a free agent player but I think for now, despite the fact that I agree with everything you said about the job Sean Marks has done, making that franchise respectable again, I do still feel like there's a stench with the Nets where it's like... It's a Clippers syndrome, it, it, it just still feels like too toxic of a situation for a marquee free agent to want to sign there, True. regardless of how much cap space they have. And they also just don't have a, like a blue chip prospect or young player that I, I can see another free agent wanting to go and play with. Yeah. Um. And, you know, look, 70 million in cap space, they could sign two max free agents. So, Mm. you know, if Jimmy Butler and Kyrie Irving decide that that's the place they want to go together, then maybe it's a possibility. I just don't really see it happening because, come on, it's the Nets.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, last time the Nets had this much cap room, uh, they signed uh, Travis Outlaw. So, you know. We'll see. We'll see on that one. Obviously, the management change has been promising so far, but yeah, they have to they have to deliver something with all this cap room. Because otherwise, what are you really doing? Um, next one, make or miss. The Lakers miss an opportunity with Wayne Ellington signing a pretty affordable six million dollar deal with the Heat. Make. Absolutely a
1: make. The Lakers missed an opportunity on Wayne Ellington, like they missed an opportunity on Boogie Cousins, like they mm-hmm. missed an opportunity on Tyreek Evans, like they missed an opportunity on so many other players that they could have signed instead of the players that they signed. So that's a make.
2: Yeah, absolutely a make. I think, first of all, Wayne Ellington, one of the more underrated specialists in the NBA. Like, yeah. you, you, Casual fans don't realize this guy is an absolute marksman. You know, Not many guys have made more threes, taken more threes, or shot at a better percentage at, like, over the last couple years and a lot of people expected that he'd kind of be in that like mid-level exception range like eight plus million he ends up signing a one-year deal for 6.2 million like whether it's the lakers or another contender who could have maneuvered themselves into caps like just enough to get him it's not even the full mid level that's what i'm saying like it, there's just no way that this guy should have flown under the radar the way he did and especially for a team like the lakers that needed shooting around lebron james except oh i forgot Magic Johnson and Rob Polinka have drummed up this like crazy new way to play basketball to take down the Warriors that no one else has thought of. And it's surround LeBron James with zero shooters, <laughs> literally zero shooters. It's also
1: just like another example of how just waiting a little bit can really yeah. help you like find some better deals than you might yeah. find by trying to jumpstart the market by signing guys like right off the bat. and. Yeah. You know, if you're going to do that, like, you better be sure that you're going to get a perfect fit on, like, a good deal. You know, the way yeah. that the Blazers did a couple of years ago when they, you know, the first deal signed was, like, al Minu Aminu on what turned out to be, like, a really good, affordable deal.
0: Like That was the only affordable deal they've ever signed, by the way. Yeah, the and then after that, terrible. they blew
1: it in 2016. But, like, um, you know, the Lakers decided to, on the first day of free agency, sign KCP Rondo Lance Stevenson and JaVale McGee to deals that are going to cost them $28 million next season and that's what just didn't make sense Mm -hmm. and and if they whiffed on everybody else that they were trying to get and those were the guys they ended up with at those price points I guess I could have understood but even if they look I would expect that Rajon Rondo would still be available right now if they hadn't signed him for $9 million and they probably would have gotten him for a lot cheaper than they did so um, it, it just you know continues to be baffling to me and I mean, again, to answer the question, they absolutely uh, missed an opportunity with Wayne Ellington.
0: Here's a crazy stat, all right? Wayne Ellington was tied with Damian Lillard for three-point makes last season, six in the NBA and this is, we're talking about a man that came off the bench and played 26 minutes a game, tied with Damian Lillard. He was
2: huge for that Miami team. He, like, was, I mean, look, he was desperately how, needed his look shooting. Look how well LeBron and Corver played together. You
0: know, yeah. the two-man
1: actions that they ran together and, you know, the ability to screen for each other and Corver's ability to pop open and stop on a dime with his quick yeah. release. Wayne Ellington does all of that. You know, he, yeah. he and he's not 86 compliment. years old, so that's
0: a, that's a nice plus. Yeah, I, I I don't I'm not I continue to be perplexed by the Lakers offseason. It really seemed like they were going to target a shooter like Ellington, but uh, you know it is what it is. Maybe they can still get a Swaggy P. All right, next one, make or miss. Would you watch a body swap comedy starring LeBron James? Report came out earlier this week. I we never really know how credible these um, industry like media industry um, reports are, but LeBron is apparently um, in talks to star in a movie and. Uh, the URL of this link said it was a body a body swap thing. So I mean, like, would you watch a body swap movie with LeBron in it?
2: Listen, you just, the name LeBron LeBron James is in it. I'm watching it because okay. I wow my I were you broke, one of those people I, that line I, up I, for Blaze Pizza I, when listen, LeBron? No, listen, this, we're not talking about like Shazam, Kazam 17 here. Can you okay, see Andrew like, Andrew or uh, again, yeah. LeBron is in a stratosphere on his own.
0: Okay. True. LeBron, if LeBron James De is in the movie.
2: <laughs> uh, it's a make. I'm watching it because I am employed in basketball media, and I got a lot That's of loafers to pay for. Right? That's true. That's true. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I might, it might be contingent
1: on who the co-star was. Yeah, but uh, I think LeBron's got some acting chops.
2: Yeah, What if it was a one-man show, I
1: mean, <laughs> it's hard so, to do a
0: one-man show and do a body swap. He
1: was. He was. Awesome in those LeBron's commercials back in the day.
0: Yes. You know, when he
1: was playing multiple yeah. different LeBron personalities. So, he's definitely got the aptitude. He was to good sw- in Trainwreck. Yeah, he was good yeah. in Trainwreck.
0: Um, he had a CGI hairline. I mean, everything was great there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, take my money, LeBron. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know what you guys are saying. I'm, I'm That's a miss. I'm not watching this <laughs> body swap movie with LeBron. I'm not watching any body swap movie, right? This, the Yo, most, Freaky Friday. Are you kidding me? That's the, It's the most tired... The, it's the most tired genre of uh, movies, and it's such a shtick. I'll
1: cape for Freaky Friday. God damn.
2: The song Freaky Friday, though, the Chris Brown song, trash. Yeah, like, it's probably going to be the theme the song in this movie. Worst. Chris Brown, also trash. But yeah, the, the song, Freaky yeah. Friday, maybe the worst song I've ever heard. Yeah. The LeBron movie will be better, though.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, last one. All right. Um, make or miss. Did the Warriors break basketball even further by signing Jonas Jerebko um
1: i I don't know like they shot didn't even get off in time. I don't like who cares, man honestly, like first of all, Jerebko's a a nice player, a fine player, but sure. like um any like the jazz could have just not waived him uh mm-hmm. they could have kept him and or any other team could have claimed him off of waivers for his original salary, so once again, I know you know we we talk about this a lot but Are the Warriors breaking basketball by doing this, or is every other team breaking basketball by basically doing nothing to stop them from doing this? And if teams out there knew that the Warriors were going to sign him once he cleared waivers, they could have just made a claim and picked him up at his $4.2 million a year salary, which is totally reasonable, and they could have gotten a rotation
2: player out of the deal. Yeah, he's basically Swedish Luke Richard Mbamute the bigger question I'm just gonna completely ignore Will's and also steal one of Will's lines from earlier today when we were not recording is did the score break basketball media by adding Alex Wong at (laughs) Steven LeBron to our stable of NBA writers and that's how I'm signing off for
0: today shout out Alex man shout out Alex he'll be on this podcast plenty of times and not just from uh, recording in Cleveland where you and him are passing around a phone Um, yeah we'll we'll improve the ends on that end but um Yeah, that does it for this week's podcast. Uh, Thank you to everyone for listening, and we'll be back next week.